the most dangerous part about the glorification of any leader, any person, anything, literally, is that you're going to be the one who's let down at the end of the day. Yes, because no nothing is be perfect. Because nothing is perfect. Nothing. Right. Hey guys, and welcome back to Stuff We Don't Learn in School. Welcome to the eighth episode. My name is Jenny. I'm Victoria. And it's just us two today. Change the scenery. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> yes, so there's a little change of scenery. And we are going to start off the podcast a little bit unconventionally. I have prepared a game for Victoria to play, which is exciting and fun. Really, it's just three trivia questions. And from there, we will get into the topic. So, Victoria, which of these three leaders can't stand the sight of blood? Number one, we have Napoleon Bonaparte. Number two, we have Theodore Roosevelt. And number three, we have Ulysses S. Grant. So I'm going to have to be honest, <laughs> who Ulysses S. Grant is, pretty sure he was a president, but also we could be wrong. So I'm going to rule out Napoleon Bonaparte because I think he did a lot of conquering. You know, that's fair. That is a fair, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with Theodore Roosevelt because I think he was the animal guy. The animal. Yeah, that's true. He did a lot with wildlife. Um, No, wrong. Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, number two. Who Would, is he? Ulysses S. Grant? He was the 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 main general for uh Oh for the, that guy for the, for the Civil War. <laughs> you know, it was like Ulysses S. Grant versus Robert E. Lee. Oh okay. okay. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, that general apparently was a couldn't stand the sight of blood. That's weird. That's right? kind of ironic. Yeah, I know. Kind of funny. Okay. Number two. Which of these authors was an anti-Semitic and extremely racist? Number one. Charles Dickens, author of A Christmas Carol. Number two. Roald Dahl, author of A Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Author of Charlie and the Cha- Chocolate Factory. <laughs> author of Charlie and the Chat. Are <laughs> <laughs> you editing? <laughs> 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 I might just keep this in. Okay, Roald Dahl, author of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> and number three, Edgar Allan Poe, author of The Raven. So, to repeat, this author was anti-Semitic and extremely racist. Bring us through your thought process here, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Charles Dickens, I think he wrote The Tale of Two Cities too. I started that in middle school, never finished it, obviously. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't have much to say about that. <laughs> I, wrote, I watched the Christmas Carol live before. I, that oh, yeah. Oh, my God. We go to the Center. That was a good and play. Anyways. Roald Dahl. Dahl. Oh, I read his thing on Willy Wonka. Also, he wrote James and the Giant Peach. Wrote a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Interesting illustrations. Dude. Might be the choice. Okay. And then Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, <laughs> see, I don't really remember what I read from him, but I know it's a bit uh, learned. A little yeah, bit, it's a little uh, sus. Not gonna lie, he's he's a very he's a very interesting man. We don't really know how he died. 
So, you know, I think I'm going to have to go with Roald Roald Dahl. Yeah, correct. Okay, last one. Who called Mussolini one of the great statesmen of our time and Hitler a friend? Number one, Nelson Mandela. Number two, Gandhi. And number three, Pope John Paul II. Maybe Pope John Paul II. (laughs) What's your reasoning there? Well, I think I read in Malcolm Gladwell's book that people who met Hitler, which I'm imagining were mainly people of European descent because they all lived near each other, really liked Hitler. He was really charismatic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was Gandhi. Well, all right, forget Malcolm Gladwell. Definitely didn't, didn't read that one, right? No, but like, isn't that? I was just—that's crazy to me. Yeah, well, based on Malcolm Gladwell's book, talking to strangers, one of the arguments he uses is like, we're so bad at talking to strangers, and we don't even realize how bad we are. Like, we think we can get so much more information from somebody's demeanor and how they behave than we really can. And the one example was. All the leaders who met Hitler, or most of them who talked, were like, Hitler's a trustworthy person. He's not going to invade Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. One person even noted, I believe, he used a double handshake. Wow, only good people do that. Uh, oh. Obviously, that's false. Yeah. But there are a lot of, like, small signs that That people you just, think like, you know liked. someone. Yeah. Right, that make you think you know someone, but you don't. And, yeah, that's kind of why I'm not surprised. But the example in the book was just saying, like, everybody who knew Hitler only from his actions rather than physical interaction and actually, like, connecting Mm. was, like, he is crazy. That is very interesting. Well, from there, obviously, you got one of them right, which honestly is more than I probably would would have been able to do. And you had solid reasoning on all fronts. So I'm very proud of you. But essentially, the point of that was obviously people, their their thoughts and their beliefs aren't exactly what we would perceive them to be from what history has almost taught us of these people, right? And so, yeah. so our topic for this week is the glorification of social leaders, or I guess glorification of leaders in general. So that's celebrities to public figures to political leaders. So first and foremost, I think it would be best to start off with defining glorification for ourselves. I feel like glorification, whenever I think of glorifying people, I think of like Beyonce, because everybody's like, oh, I love Beyonce. Beyonce can do no harm. Oh my gosh, my queen, queen bee. And I think a lot of people expect Beyonce to be so extremely perfect at this point that it's almost an inherent mindset within our social culture. I think what you said about Beyonce is right. Like the idea that a lot of her fan base, her fan base especially, but I'm sure for all celebrities to some degree, this is true. It's almost like they represent something larger than life. And maybe that's my definition for glorification. I think Mm -hmm. to me, glorification in the context of social, political, economic, entertainment cultural things is where someone kind of becomes reduced to a larger idea a larger message that is powerful and it's big but when you do that you obviously exclude by definition a lot of their faults a lot of what makes them human kind of their daily day-to-day interactions and that I think is when things become a problem yeah it's like it's just seeing people as inherently perfect and without capability of having faults at all. So I guess almost in a way, glorification doesn't necessarily just have to be people, 
like you can glorify things, right? We've talked about this before, almost to connect it to like episode one. We glorify the education system in some ways. But whenever it becomes like glorifying people and perceptions of people being perfect, that gets really scary. Especially whenever it comes to like, say, a leadership title. Like as soon as somebody gets a certain leadership title, at least a group of people either see that person as being absolutely perfect in every way and everything that they do and their opinions, or they just don't like anything that that person stands because they got said leadership position through said means. Obviously, I think a lot of people can understand what I'm alluding to, which is, you know, the presidential title, because we've seen such a large group of people glorify the president whether that be a democrat or a republican and i think it's healthy to have these perfect expectations for that title like it's good to have expectations that are of good intention for a title but i don't think it's healthy to put that person to those expectations to every single one of those expectations yeah, I think glorification goes two ways. Either A, you glorify the actual title. So, for example, I think something that might be relatable and also relevant is college admissions. So sometimes you might not, you might see someone that you know that's in your vicinity and you're like, okay, they're a cool person. And then they get into X school and you're like, oh, wait. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And that's the act of glorifying the title that they're getting. But it's also sometimes you glorify the person and then they get the title and then it kind of further creates a cycle where you just keep worshiping whoever whatever to an extreme degree and i think that's it's 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 definitely unhealthy i think we saw that in the uh in both the 2016 and 2020 elections where people started down the path of really supporting every single aspect not just of their political stances, but like the personal aspects of that person and glorifying every single part of that. And then whenever said person got the title, then it was like, oh, no, yeah, see, exactly. That person is perfect because they got the title. And then it only fuels that glorification even more. Right. I think glorification is often in a partisan context. It's definitely a both party issue. It's just whenever anybody is high profile has wields a lot of power or money or fame or anything that is wanted or desired kind of in our society there's glorification on both sides i think it's just understanding that difference that it's good to have perfect expectations for those leadership titles but not for the person holding that leadership title I don't know if you should necessarily do that either. Like, for example, I think in politics, if you are very ideologically strong to one end or you're just very certain with what you want and you can't compromise, at the end of the day, yeah, you might be upset at the person because you're holding them to those standards, but Mm -hmm. you'll probably just be like enraged at the world. And the thing about politics specifically, especially, is everything is about compromises. So I don't know if whenever we're glorifying people or things or whenever we're glorifying like things, we should hold the people who are a part of those things to the same standard. I don't know if we should have those standards in the first place. I feel like that's a weird mindset to be in and it's hard to adjust out of it. If you have these preset expectations and then every time you have to lower it because it's not really realistic. And then, you know, you yourself 
probably torture yourself and just start to value other people and other things a lot more than you and what you can do instead of like what you expect others to do. It almost becomes a dependency. Now that I think of it, holding a leadership position myself and you also having held and are holding a leadership position. I mean, it's it's like Victoria and I both had this conversation before where I was having an existential crisis as to like what was the meaning behind like being a leader of a group and like how how was I supposed to I guess live up to those expectations because I in my mind had this idea of glorifying that leadership title right glorifying like what it means and I'm supposed to be doing x y and z and I I have to be I have to be better but what what am I even supposed to be better in because I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and I think that was probably the issue there because honestly like I was I was having a lot of trouble and Victoria can attest to this I was like so confused as to what everything meant I think people need to see leaders on a larger level like they do see leaders on a smaller level as human beings who are going to make mistakes but still respect them for the work that they're doing as a leader yeah i think it's hard to not glorify let's say kamala harris Mm -hmm. the first black and indian female vice president it's hard not to glorify her because we just don't know her A lot of the times it's easier to maintain that sort of level of not doubt, that's the wrong word, but maintain this level of normalcy and not putting people on a pedestal when you actually know them because you see them in day-to-day life where they're going to the grocery store or they're working out or running, playing with a dog (laughs) or eating just like how anybody else would. But when you only see them in the context of, oh, I'm in the Iowa caucus right now i'm running i'm organizing i'm campaigning it's just hard because that's not what you know your life to be and it's kind of hard to see yourself as someone who could be like them and not then be like oh they're just so much better they're built different they're different exactly start kind of developing that sort of thing oh yeah in terms of leadership and what jenny was talking about with having a leadership role and glorifying that i think that's something that happens both on the micro and macro level like for me whenever i ran for student council what i like to say about student council is out of everything i've done i think it's been one of those things where it's taught me genuinely the most about leadership because it gives you your role directly is leadership and it's nothing else there's no other like strings attached to it so to me before i never really considered what leadership was it was probably stereotypically very like oversimplified it was the Mm -hmm. person who talked super well was really loud (laughs) and was like pioneering ideas and innovating this change and just insert like any sort of ad that's about tech like that sort of vibe. And I can't speak to it because I've never been in politics professionally or business professionally or any sort of the professional world where people are at the highest kind of peak. And there's something really admirable about that. But I think it's, again, like the degree to which you admire it. Um, and also, I imagine as you grow older, like there's still regular people just doing their job. Their job isn't that exciting, that lively. It's still nitty gritty. You still have to do stuff you don't like. You still have to flesh out details, stay up long nights, buy coffee the next morning (laughs) and like kind of go through that. Exactly. It's like I I saw this. I was on TikTok. The Kardashians just did a thing where they they did a trend. It was them being humorous. And in the comments, there are so many people who are just like, it's so weird because they were FaceTiming their other celebrity friends. And in the comments, they were just like, 
it's so weird to see these celebrities sitting on a couch watching TV or just getting out of a shower or buying groceries because like in the public eye, they're so in the public eye and everything that they display that is to the public is them not doing mediocre things. Right. I mean, that's not newsworthy. (laughs) Like Kylie Jenner buys apricots. Like nobody cares. Kylie Jenner releases a new lip line. Like that, that is what we see. And so we start seeing them as more than us. And then boom, glorification. But also like a good example for entertainment. I think sometimes it's one, like people live more, I guess, so-called fascinating lives where they live a part of life that you could never understand. Like mm-hmm. we'll never understand what it's like to be mobbed by paparazzi or be sent like a Gucci belt because you want to promo on their story because they're an influencer. Like we'll never know what that's like. But I also think there's something to be said about glorification in the sense where, I mean, you're so good at what you do. It has a really big meaning to the consumer, to the audience member, to whoever. For example, for Spotify Wrapped, Taylor Swift was my number one artist. I know. It was not Travis Scott. <laughs> shock, shock. Uh, but it was Taylor Swift. And for a while, I was pretty obsessed with Taylor Swift. I think obsessed is a strong word. I just like to see what she was doing. I would keep track if I could. If I didn't, I wouldn't be thinking about it. Yeah. But she was someone I like consciously paid a little bit more attention to. And when I was on kind of Swifty fan accounts and looking through the comments and things like that, for Taylor, in her case, her music and the music of a lot of artists, like I'm sure you can test Jacob Collier or whoever mm-hmm. you Collier, whoever you listen to, <laughs> like sometimes in terms of entertainment, like an artist, their song holds such a significant piece or like holds such significant weight to your life because it helps yeah. you get over a breakup, help you get over death. Like, it's just hard not to glorify because at that point, it's like, you know, someone who's so distant from you literally helped you get through this momentous period of time in your life, whether it was good or bad. And they don't know you, but it's their craft and it's part of them and it's extension of them because it's their work. Um, I don't know. I can just imagine how easy it is to start to admire them to a level that's not super healthy and not kind of giving them the respect or, or kind of like the basic understanding that they're human and they're just using music as a vehicle or any kind of other arena. I think that's why it becomes so easy to glorify policymakers because they they do inherently influence your life at probably some of the most personal right. levels. So the amazing, I think, act that Obama passed to legalize gay marriage, it was amazing. Um, and obviously it it changed a lot of people's lives and made them feel a lot more safe in the environments that they were in. But that's almost a fast track to glorifying Obama. Right. It's hard to ignore a lot of his missteps in presidency, mm-hmm. which there were some, though I'm not really clear what, but I was reading like an article on kind of things that he's done that haven't been great. I mean, as all presidents do, because exactly. you make mistakes when you're in office, but it's just hard to include everything in the narrative. Exactly. So, A good example of this is Mahatma Gandhi, where the interesting thing is in school, right, we learn a very simplified version of history. And we've talked about this with Catherine on the education episode. And you have limited time. You want kids to take away something because if you don't create a story, like, how do they even know what the point of you telling it is? Yeah. It's like if you're like, 
you know, I like watermelons, but watermelons are also expensive. And you just keep going back and forth. It's like, what do you want? Like, what is the <laughs> point? like do, do you like them or not? Are you going to exactly. buy them? Like, like what am I supposed to them? get out of this? Am I yes. supposed to buy you a watermelon or not? Like, tell me. Exactly. exactly. And with Gandhi, well, the narrative is pretty clear. Like he is a pioneer of change and he's done so much and he's really influential. And of course, all of this is true, but mm-hmm. a large part of what is excluded is that he did sexually assault women and he did do some things that aren't great at all by any means exactly and that kind of brings up the question that we've always been trying to answer in history class more so now this year for me is like how do you even judge these leaders too like to what standards do you hold leaders of the past given that moral codes were different and what we valued what we believed what we understood to be right is different. It wasn't as progressive, quote unquote, as you could say now, mm-hmm. because, you know, as you evolve further, things move left more. But I think that's also an interesting question that glorification of social leaders brings up. It's like when you exclude narratives, like what, what do you want to, what do you want people to take away at the end of the day? Because for me, and I don't mean this in any way that's very insensitive and I'm not trying to be, but I know Gandhi sexually assaulted women. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't know what to make of that anymore in the context of what I know what he's done. Like, does it affect my understanding of the work he's done other than humanizing him, which sounds bad because it's right. like we're equating being human to With doing bad things. With sexually assaulting. Yes. Like glorification of these social leaders is almost, I, I don't, I don't want to say it like this, but it's, it's a fast track to cancel culture. And, and I'm not saying this is this is such a difficult topic to talk about because right. we, we we don't want to say that sexual in no way in no way at all is sexually assaulting anybody okay it's right serious, yeah. like that's I'm not I, I trying f- to dismiss it no not at all but but it comes to a point where you know you you glorify somebody to be this amazing human being and then you you learn this negative aspect of this person and then all of a sudden this glorification and this idea that you have of this person everything that they did must be tainted then everything must be bad and that just simply is not true it's just confusing because whenever you glorify social leaders to glorify someone you have to think you know a lot about them and you Mm -hmm. you know who they are and you know what they do i think a good a good example in my opinion and over the summer, I was really curious about this is when Ellen got yes. quote unquote canceled. And of course, the allegations were true and serious. There was a lot of workplace, the workplace environment wasn't really safe, inclusive, mm-hmm. accessible, and she wasn't really supporting her employees as her outward demeanor kind of is. But what I thought it was interesting was I genuinely didn't know what to make of it. Because Ellen has had a really interesting history where I believe her girlfriend died and then at the time and then she started getting into comedy because of that or somehow, some way that kickstarted her comedy career and then she became known as this kind person who is openly gay and who kind of took the first steps as being a female gay comedian to be out in Mm -hmm. the open. She really pushed pushed the gay community to be what it is today. I mean, she was even given a medal by she, Barack Obama, yes. right? For yes. Whoa! Oh my gosh! What is it called? It's it's the highest honor that a civilian can get in the United right. States. Right. So I mean, <laughs> I think that gives you Slipping the criteria my mind. you need. Like, you got to be a good, loyal, moral person. Yeah. 
And whenever the things came out about Ellen and the YouTube video clips started resurfacing of, oh my gosh, look at Ellen. Like it was so insensitive for her to force Mariah Carey to basically confirm that she was pregnant, which I agree, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or Dakota Johnson, the way she kind of cornered Dakota and put her in an uncomfortable position with the birthday party stuff. Yeah. It was very clear Dakota didn't want to talk about gave it. Gave her an invite. It's just stuff like that. It's like, what do you what do you make of that? Because I'm sure if people took stuff out of the context of my life and I'm not trying to excuse anyone, I make this joke all the time. I joke with people like one day if I ever run for office or if I ever am high profile, <laughs> there are so many instances where I could get yes. like canceled. No, but that's literally every single person though. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I'm sure like we've said things on this podcast that would be probably cancel worthy. Ooh, so if anybody is trying to <laughs> extract clips right now, if Jenny and I are in any position to be framed, blackmailed, just know. We I'm recognize it. Here. <laughs> right, we recognize it. Just know I'm sitting here on a Zoom call wearing a white shirt <laughs> and some makeup, just ready to digress, regress, just built in sadness right now. So honestly... <laughs> This is a really interesting time. I hope you're feeling something because I'm explaining what I'm feeling to you right now. <laughs> but no, seriously, genuinely, like mm-hmm. last year I was a sophomore. So what was I, 15? Well, I mean, if you look at Millie Bobby Brown or like Maddie Ziegler or things like that, like they don't get a free pass. No. I mean, I'm getting a free pass. And I think of the stuff I said last year around this time. Oh. Okay, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, I'm not like. No, no, no. Like, yes, yes, yes. Like, but, but like, but like, it's of- just insensitive. Like inherently, we are insensitive in the past, and we mature, and we learn from our mistakes, and we right. learn from what society learns. You know, right? It's like, for example, um, for example, I, I last I laugh at I laughed at Asian jokes before. I thought they were okay. You know, no, oh my gosh, okay. right? But because yeah. like because that's like people were like oh my gosh haha look small eyes and be like haha because that's what like that's that was that's what right. was okay and obviously like inherently I'm not okay with that and I realized like oh I don't have to be okay with it right but it was it was just something that I did I mean for me if you took stuff I said out of context wow we could we could write a memo with that like oh the content's a little bit too much which is a little bit concerning but i mean that's just a fact of life because whenever you're close with people people understand you to the point where you don't have to front and you can Mm -hmm. say what you mean and people will be able to interpret that but of course if you don't know someone you can't get that so precisely it's it's like the uh (laughs) Um, so I've had experience with this. This is a very juvenile example, by the way, but it, I, it's funny, but it works. Um, and I'm sure Victoria has also had uh, experience with this. But, you know, whenever you first get a crush in school, you... you <laughs> Victoria, Brad, way too deep here. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, whenever you, <laughs> whenever you, get, oh, you first get a crush in school, you know, you idolize that person because... Like you don't necessarily know who they are inherently. You haven't yes, had that. You don't. <laughs> what are you basing it off of? How they look, one thing they say, <laughs> how they talk. Yeah, I feel like I'm being I'm, attacked here, Victoria. <laughs> I'm telling you, quote. <laughs> I won't give the time frame, but my brother to one point said to me, Victoria, 
I've heard you go on about this person for literally more than I've ever thought about a person in my entire life. Like, you at least one to two years, man. <laughs> you literally don't even know the person. Yeah. I'm not going to add any more details. <laughs> that's, that's not. You're idolizing him. He's just a normal dude. Yeah. And get on with your life and Bro. stop wasting time. Same. Like, me. Me, a, me, me, me. Yes. You say that's a juvenile example, but I think that's the most. It's it's probably the, the most example. relatable applicable yeah, the closest to home mm-hmm. because if everybody like someone yes love is blind bro like, <laughs> love is, blind. Love is and, blind right and then you think this person is all that and whenever you're first talking to someone of course we all front mm-hmm. we show the best parts of ourselves whenever we're applying to college college interviews job interviews of yes. course we, yes like of course we idolize people we see from a distance who are this they do this they do this they do this but I mean, you get to know them. What do they do? They do Netflix. They watch. They exercise. They do what everyone else does. But it's just it's it's and like the the longer you talk to that person, so the more say so, kind of to draw parallels here. The longer that you talk to that person, the longer you get to know that person. Um, just like the longer that a person is in the public eye, the more likely you're going to find something that you don't like. Right, because it's just exposure time. Exactly. You know, I genuinely thought this year that I was becoming a more spiteful person, more scroogey. Okay, like maybe I am, like, yeah, whatever. It's yeah, like, I think that's, only... just, that's just, that comes with like becoming older. Because like whenever Honestly. you're young, you're just like, ah, happy, go lucky. Oh my gosh, everything's perfect. I have all A's. And then <laughs> I like how I equate those two things. <laughs> and then like later and later, it's just like, ah. Internalized education system. <laughs> but, but yeah, but you know, I'm I'm finding everyone I know, and one thing my parents actually have told me this year because I'm sure as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more callous by life. <laughs> Bro, I'm acting like I just wait, you're you know like a you seventy year old man. Like, you oh my the, gosh, you you get the analogy. Yes, I get, <laughs> yeah. I get it, I get it. But this year, I found myself focusing a lot on what I don't like on people. Not even like I'm bitter. I just get frustrated more easily. I get angered more easily. Amen. And it was just one thing my parents told me. They're like, like no one is perfect. And you're reaching a point in your life where a lot of the stuff you're doing now is more based on interactions with people. And everyone else is growing too. And you're also like frustrated just by being at the position you are where you are just being this age. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot expect everyone to be perfect or live up to your expectations or you enforce your way of life on them or your mantras on them like that just doesn't work exactly you're going to be the one who gets upset and i think the most dangerous part about the glorification of any leader any person anything literally is that you're going to be the one who's let down at the end of the day yes because nothing is perfect because nothing is perfect nothing right and you know someone the other day was giving me advice. It was actually Hildy, and he teaches econ. So he gave me an econ metaphor. He was saying this relates to glorification in the sense of when you glorify someone, you start caring about their life, who they are, their character. You start following them, and you start getting mad about things you can't control. Like for example, oh my gosh, like Taylor Swift didn't answer this one fan's invite. And she usually answers fans' invite. Like, what's I'm going angry. on? And I understand, like, it's frustrating when someone you really like doesn't, but 
that's not something within your control. And what he described was an econ, there's such thing as a production possibilities curve. And that's basically, excuse me, my econ's not great. It's just like the allocation of resources and kind of like what's the most efficient way. Yeah. Like, how do you know if you're most efficient? So it's a, it's like a it's one a gra- fourth it, yeah. circle, like a, <laughs> dude, well, how do I explain it? Like, okay, no, it's, a, no, it's a graph. It's a graph that is the top right corner of a circle, essentially. Right. Think of a think of a half of a semicircle. So yeah, a quarter yes, circle. So basically, right if you're if you're under that curve line, you're not re- re- reaching your full potential. So mm-hmm. you could be doing more. There's more to do. If you're above that curve line, that means that you don't have the maybe the work ethic or an econ, it's like you don't have the technology or the resources. You, maybe it's in your life, it's like you don't have the work ethic, the relationships, the connections, the opportunities to get there, mm-hmm. but you could get there at some point when you get those things that you need to get there. Mm-hmm. And what he was saying is like, Victoria, like with this whole production possibilities curve, there's opportunity costs because when you're focusing on one part of the curve, you're sacrificing something else that you could be working on. Exactly. It's like the famous econ thing about um, gun or butter. Like, do you focus on your militia or do you try to feed your people first? Because if you feed your people first, then obviously you sacrifice spending time and energy on the militia. And he was like, you're spending so much time looking at other people and kind of their production possibility curve and their opportunity cost that relates to you no, I completely understand because, like, if you're spending too much time looking at other people's production possibility curves, and you're you're just like you're not looking at your own, then what what becomes of you, you know? Right. Then then it's you're like, not producing to or I guess working to your maximum. You're not doing the most that you can because you're spending too much time looking at other people. Right. You're glorifying and you're seeing all of the maximums that could be right or that you enjoyed and i think there's something also to be said about glorification i guess depending on how it relates to you is to me it resonates most clearly with comparing yourself to people mm-hmm. like i don't think i glorify people and things that much anymore because of things i've been through and i act like things i've been through is really heavy but no it's just experience i've had working talking to people just mm-hmm. meeting cool people who've done cool things yeah I mean, it's harder to glorify when you're older because you, you're you're open to more experiences, but I think a lot of glorifying comes, at least when you're in adolescence, is people you wish to be. And I think TikTok yes. has done a really cool job of kind of de- breaking down those sort of barriers and those sort of uh, simplified bite-sized things on Instagram where you see someone who has a great body and you're like, wait, Bro, and then like TikTok, like someone who has a great body, you're like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like, right? yeah, I yeah. kind of wish I had a body like them. And they're like, no, I have an eating disorder. And they kind of like make it clear that you may have a great body, you may still not be confident. And and they kind of provide this duality that is life and the, the complexity and everything that comes with it. Exactly. Like, I always think about it, like outwardly, there are a decent amount of people I look up to. When I say look up to, I mean, I like, I don't know. If you ask me to trade lives with them, I would have to hesitate. I'd probably say no, but the fact that I have to hesitate. Like, <laughs> yeah. But the fact that I yes. have to hesitate means I think they're really cool. Yeah. And 
And whenever I see them in the context of their work and just simplify to an idea or a vision that they've been working towards and they've done cool stuff towards, it's just hard not to think they're not human. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's really hard. I I think TikTok definitely has provided a solution almost to this because the things that are popular on TikTok have been things that are just silly and fun and show the humanity within people. And so all of these celebrities or even social leaders, you know, like AOC played Among Us the other day. That was right. it was funny. And like so like these other congresswomen played Among Us and these funny integrations of celebrities into more silly acts allows us to see these people as humans see people as the good that they are but also what society would perceive as faults within people as well and you know you know whenever it comes to seeing a celebrity as an amazing say model but that person has an eating disorder then it's understanding that that good in the hard work that they've done to get to where they are but understanding um the setback, the what they had to sacrifice in order to get there. And so it's it's you're no longer glorifying that title because you understand the background. Um, right, you have context. Exactly. It's not just you see an end result and you're like, where did this come from? Exactly. I know this is like kind of a slotty jump, but I also want to talk about the idea of leadership we talked about back then because I just thought of something that recently happened in my personal life literally two days ago. It was a conversation with my parents and I just realized I think a lot of the reason why we do glorify leaders is because if you're in a leadership role, you have to, to some degree, play to a person you're not, or you have to exaggerate mm-hmm. who you are, or you just have to put on a mask. Yes. Like that was a big thing I've come to terms with where I was like, you know, if I'm not feeling happy, do I really have to show that I'm bouncing off the walls or do i really have to be smiling during team meetings when i'm not and then my mom was just like that's just the price of being a leader like you can't allow your own personal feelings to dictate how you affect the room of people who are listening to you and also it's not being fake it's 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 just it's being efficient i feel like like dropping the role it's like the responsibility you take on when you're leading the team you're the one who who a lot of the times has influence on the mood and kind of how people feel about themselves. And mm-hmm. that's also something I thought of that I think is interesting is also why like celebrities too, you also have to put on this persona because people see you as this person. Like I'm sure, yeah. you know what, if people see me and know me in the context of being loud, I'm going to be louder when I'm with them. It's just natural because <laughs> I'm playing to what they think I am and kind of fulfilling those expectations. Yeah. And I think, Part of those pressures, whether you're someone high profile and right culture or politics or entertainment or whatever intersection or anything, really, you just have some sort of reputation to maintain, which further kind of exacerbates this, you know, social glorification, all of that stuff. But Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's just hard to break because it's just a norm. You know, like a norm as a leader and kind of the definition of a leader kind of incorporates that, at least to me right now. That's what I think. Yeah, I think a lot of people see whenever they see somebody being somebody else that they're not used to or like 
like a different personality, then they automatically think, oh, this is different than what I'm used to. This is not the same person that I talked to, say, like yesterday, whenever we were having a completely different conversation on like a completely different topic, you know? And and then they automatically equate that to being like two-faced. Right. And I think being two-faced is obviously that has a negative connotation whenever it comes to um, describing somebody. But that that's just like you're going to change your personality based on who you're talking to and in what context. So I right. did like a college interview, right? Obviously, I'm not going to talk to my college interviewer the same way that I talk to you about, say, a crush. Like that's just not going to be... The, like right. those two I mean, conversations are completely different sometimes the most mature thing to do is switch and stuff mm-hmm. uh, like sometimes you know staying true to whatever you think you are whatever you think your raw form is isn't really practical nor is it comfortable for other people <laughs> too yeah that's what i think is a uh, what i think is an interesting concept the funny part is the first time i went to therapy and i don't like see her anymore and I don't go to therapy anymore so I I guess it didn't like revolutionize me when I heard it was I was just talking about feelings and how I was worried that I might be like suppressing stuff or you know whatever I just wasn't sure because it seemed like people were a lot more expressive than I really was Mm. and I wanted to just see what based on the client she's worked with what that was and she was just saying like yeah you know I mean if you want to be more emotional just mimic people who are and she said it so nonchalantly I just remember being like isn't that like fake i was like isn't that like messed up yeah like no i mean humans are creatures that mimic if you want to learn something you can i mean that's kind of how you do it like with everything whether it's the vernacular you use like the common language whether it's like bro bro dude swear like i learned that all from someone like (laughs) um or if it's like like what you want in life um like i think a lot of my aspirations have been influenced by my brother or upperclassmen or the type of family I want to raise my parents I mean you just mimic people you respect and I think that's that's fine that's okay it's human right exactly exactly it's almost animalistic it's inherent you know and I think that's the that's the one thing about glorification and I know these are like loosely related but the one thing you can take away from being obsessed with someone is like wh- why do you why do you like them so much like like what is admirable and just i guess try to apply it to your life i think that's the one benefit like for example with donald trump he has a lot of people who glorify him and for some valid reasons like maybe i don't like those reasons or agree with them but to some degree those reasons it's are logistical. interesting and they're true i mean he mm-hmm. knows how to elicit anger vitriol from people because he says the most egregious things and maybe i'm wrong but i think he knows he's doing that yeah yeah no no, stuff and he knows like the cycle and a lot of people respect his plain spoken english in the sense where he's not quote-unquote extremely articulate or what you would see as articulate by using words like conglomeration and coalesce like he just uses words that everyone can understand and I think that's, I mean, if you like that, that's that's a respectable thing, respectable thing to try to emulate. Mm-hmm. Like for me, what I really like and who I might glorify the most currently is I am a really big fan of Sal Khan, mm-hmm. as many students are for very <laughs> obvious reasons. 
Like, Hans is just so, yeah. so cool. He's, he's getting a good amount of the population through school right now. Yeah, he, he's changing. He's literally revolutionizing what we learn, who can learn, how we learn, and mm-hmm. making it just more accessible and equitable. And to me, I really, really admire him. And I don't know if you could categorize this as glorified, but he's someone I really, really, really admire because he had the chance to make Khan Academy, what, a like $1 trillion company or something, like in a crazy amount. No, I'm sure. Where he could have monetized Khan Academy so quickly and just changed how he makes revenue and how much revenue he makes. And that to me is so admirable. And I think trying you know, to emulate that. Away, right. Yeah, that's something I want to emulate. And yeah. I think being able to pick out what you enjoy about people like even if it's something as simple as music like why do you like taylor swift's music why did that get you through that time like why did i like folklore so much Mm -hmm. and then i realized i mean it was probably because i was feeling detached during quarantine and this felt like some sort of simple yet homely yet very intimate personally feeling because there was no like crazy sounds and stuff and what I want to emulate from that, be more connected to myself emotionally and just try to be more open to how I feel and try to take time to identify what I feel. Exactly. Like, I think that can go the same for anybody, anything you glorify. Just kind of try to answer why you do it. What you can wanna... do about it, emulate the good things, but still understand what it takes to get there or the faults of others because we're all human. Right, try to apply it in your own life. Like, you know, I'm never going to write songs. Let's be honest. Like, I, I, you know, portrait idol champion here, but this is not, <laughs> we've regressed. We've regressed from singing. So, but but what I can emulate is whenever I'm writing for speech and debate, maybe I'm trying to be more emotionally connected. Whenever I'm talking to someone or, I don't know, things like that, I yeah. think that can be the cool thing about finding what you like about other people and what you glorify in terms of material i think that's perfect i think that's a good place to end um so make sure again to follow us on our instagram which is at stuff we don't learn in school and sign up for our newsletter which is stuff we don't learn in school.org plug your email in and you'll get our newsletter newsletter this week is pretty cool and there are a lot of really good examples um it's really insightful so highly recommend it and our ending quote for this podcast is from Famous Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. And he says, To lead people, walk behind them. As always, Stuff We Don't Learn in School would not be possible without our team. Thank you to Samantha Podner for writing the newsletter, Sophie Liu for the resources, Emma Scott for the digital content, and Gloria Wong for the graphic design. 